0: Hey everybody, welcome back to the MMA Viva section with me, Zane Simon, and my co-hosts,
1: as always, Connor Riebisch.
2: That's me. Not even him. That's me, it's, it's me.
1: <laughs> We're here once
0: again talking about this week's UFC card going down where else but the wonderful, beautiful Apex facility in mm. Las Vegas, Nevada. Really just every single month. That begin that feels more like an ironic joke.
3: <clears throat> oh, you was know? it? I thought it was one hundred percent ironic. What what percentage were you operating at?
1: I mean, it, it it was.
0: I'm just saying that it feels more like a joke from the UFC. oh, Not, oh, oh. Like, oh sure. I've always viewed it as like, you know, you're putting on contenders series at the apex facility that's really funny Mm -hmm. but now i'm beginning to think that like the ufc thinks that that's really funny too
3: (laughs) Uh, to be honest i do feel like um little as these things matter to the modern ufc since like they just get 10 10 billion dollars from espn for like showing up to work half the time Mm -hmm. um little as these things would seem to matter i i do get the feeling from these cards the last couple apex cards uh and the one after this that they are probably seeing like a drop in viewership for the apex cards Uh because this is to be honest pretty good by the standards of apex cards that we got used to in 2023 yeah as is next week's card, they at least are appear to be trying to put together one full main card for each of these events. It's true, because it gets we've seen Apex cards that I mean, like Home Bueno Silver or whatever. Like, sh- surely that was a shittier lineup than this. Sure, sure, sure. From top to bottom.
0: Let I me mean, let me take a look at next week's card.
3: This card, I would say, has four or five fights that I would at least described as well matched. And marginally relevant to their divisions. Yeah, um, and that's not that's not so bad. Yeah, I, I suppose.
1: Let's see. Looking quickly
0: at the lightweight rankings, Moicano and Dober are, in fact, ranked UFC fighters.
3: Are they indeed?
0: They are both, as are Dalidzi and Mm Imavov, and uh, Raujo is, and uh, And Silva
3: Silva isn't. But that's an obvious matchup that has stakes for her as a rising contender. Mm -hmm.
0: And so that you know, that makes for yeah five fighters with some kind of. You know, stakes by the UFC's own metrics to offer, and I don't. You know, I I know the the rankings are kind of bullshit sometimes. Yada yada yada. I don't actually have nearly as much problem with UFC rankings, other than the fact that they just insist on making them an internal, uh, non-independent function, and Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. they can they can manipulate as needed. I actually think that most of the way that okay they they get a little static because yeah, there's a course. general instruction and belief to how their progra- how they're done whereby fighters have to lose to go down in the rank have to lose somebody lower than them to go down in the rankings
3: yeah there is no uh established process for like inactivity or irrelevance of wins or yeah. whatever like dropping you out Yeah, so that you 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 have a lot of inertia basically. Once you get in, once you crack like the top seven or five, you you get a lot of inertia on your side.
0: Yeah, so that you know somebody like Stephen Thompson,
3: surely still ranked. Yeah,
0: is still like nearly a top five ranked. He's number six.
3: Tony Ferguson must have still been ranked until like maybe his last fight or two. When it was obvious, yeah. it's been obvious for like the last six that he is not a top ten lightweight. Yeah. That's just yeah. how it goes. But if you compare this lineup or next week's lineup, I would say go back to the last two Apex cards. And I'm aware I'm saying that Oncalaya of Walker 2 was a, a good card in this example. Mm-hmm. But on paper, it's fine. It's got a it's, it's got fine. a few names, it's got good matchups, relevant fights. But then if you... And then Song Gutierrez was the one before that. That was a decent Apex card. Alan Craig before that. That, I think, is representative of what the Apex became over the course of 2023. Yeah. That is a dog shed card.
2: Yeah. Or... That
0: Al- Almeida versus Lewis card that was co-mained by Nicholas Dalby versus Gabriel Bonfim and Rodrigo Nascimento versus Dante Mays.
3: Yeah. Yeah, and, uh, and there's there some decent ones, uh, you know, a smattering of decent ones throughout the latter half of 2023. I, I feel like they're trying not to make the Apex uh, a particularly unfunny punchline as it has yeah. become.
0: Oh, and I forgot the Almeida Lewis card. Where they actually took that to Brazil. That was actually just a tragically bad card. They took somewhere.
3: <laughs> I mean, obviously in the Mario C, there yeah. there simply is not no way to. Yeah. Uh, well, no, no way that is cost effective to to deliver routinely good cards. But yeah. But no,
0: they. I I think you're right. I think they are trying. It's just always when, because they have stratified their product. Yeah. And very clearly have stratified their product for Apex, uh, traveling events, and then Mm pay-per-views. They, even, even trying to improve the Apex cards and actually paying attention to how they're booked. They will inevitably end up with another with, with more apex cards that are just Of course miserably bad. Like, I mean, we say they're course correcting, but right on the on on the horizon is tai to versus Marchine Taibura with OSP versus Kennedy and zechaku
2: And uh
3: Probably yeah, but look at own. look at those look at those cards. I mean, you can't. Yeah. This is this is the thing you got to know with fight nights. You can't go on the main event. No, because what they do is they pick the fattest couple of dudes on the card. That is still the rule. Like next week's card. If I was going off of Hermanson versus pifer I would not call that a remotely good card. It's only when no. you look at the rest of the main card that you're like, okay, this is all right.
0: But he, even then, on for that card, like. I'm looking down that card and sure there are some fights that we're kind of interested and excited for, Uh-huh. but it is not relevant
3: no. at all. I mean, all I'm saying is make Dan Ige, Andre Feely, the main event. Just do it. People will like it. It's good. Yep, It's a good fight. Yep.
2: But anyway,
3: <clears throat>
2: anyway,
3: we
0: are, uh, going to not complain terribly about this card. I'll
3: complain, but mostly on the prelims.
0: Yeah.
3: All right. (laughs) I reserve the right to complain when we get to the prelims.
0: (laughs) Otherwise, we've got a main event to talk about that should be pretty interesting, honestly. Roman DeLidze, Nassadin, Mm -hmm. It's It seems booked well to be a difficult fight. Mm Mm-hmm. Um mostly because Roman de Lidze refuses to be as bad as you want him to be. Mm-hmm. Chess mm-hmm. chess grandmaster.
3: Mm. Roman Yeah, I mean I had a I had an enlightening sort of experience thinking about Roman DeLidze's chess um career, if if you, you can't call it that, but you know. Mm-hmm. Uh because uh I mean clearly Uh, You know, as a rational human being, my uh, immediate thought upon seeing Roman Dolidze like posting images of him playing chess with like other fighters at the hotel or whatever, Mm -hmm. as a rational person, my immediate reaction to that was this is a psyop designed to mislead me. Yes. Like a normal person would think. Yeah. Uh, And I thought that because I looked at the position on the board and I was like, wait a minute. This motherfucker doesn't know what he's doing. This isn't what this isn't the chess opening. This guy's been lying to me. He doesn't You went full
0: Ronda Rousey.
3: Uh, uh, I'm not a normal person. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Yeah. I emulated one, you know, another a successful businesswoman. Yeah. And. um, Yeah. So entrepreneurially, I was suspicious and paranoid. (laughs) Uh, looking at the images, thinking, this is not real chess. The guy's been lying. He doesn't even know how to play. He doesn't know how the horse he moves.
0: Can uh, jet fuel melt steel beams? don't think so.
3: <laughs> I don't think so. I don't think so. Uh, but then it hit me that Roman, of course Roman DeLizze is not going to play 15 moves of theory. He's not a book player because he's not a book fighter either. That's right. Roman DeLidze is a goofy gambit guy on the board and in the cage, and his idea is almost certainly to do something offbeat, to start the game or fight off in a way that intimidates the opponent, puts them on the back foot, gives them some kind of initiative. Initiative is just as important in chess as it is in, in MMA, Zane. Uh, uh Uh, and if you make the other guy react badly or react at all to you, sometimes that gives you enough initiative to just carry the whole contest. Um, and that is the way Dalidze fights. So I've come Mm -hmm. back around. I still don't like him, but I've come back around. I think he probably does play chess and he's probably just a weird offbeat chess player Uh who just tries something goofy every time and uh this really uh cemented itself when Phil pointed out to me that Delidze has a strange habit of picking whatever stance is opposite to his opponent's stance like almost every fight yeah and it and you would you would think like normally this this is a noted trend with other fighters you know, and we were thinking like who else is a guy who always wants an open stance fight? You know, like Steven Thompson does that. Yeah. Anthony Pettis used to do that. Uh Leona Machita would often do that. These are all like, first of all, phenomenal kickers. Uh-huh. Um, and they're all like they're they're trying to like engineer collisions and counters. They're or they're trying to create more space. Um uh, you know, by by like opposing the opponent's lead foot, you get generally more space when it's Southpaw versus Orthodox. You know, there's like all these reasons for it, uh, for that kind of decision. And then you look at the way DeLidze fights and you're like, does he have any of those qualities? And the answer is no. What DeLidze wants to do is to is to stand in the way that he deems most weird for the opponent to deal with. <laughs> <laughs> and wang right hands or left hands at them from the rear side. Yeah. He's not a big kicker. Nope. He's not like a converted southpaw when he goes lefty who, like, suddenly has a great jab. He just no. wants to wang overhand lefts or overhand rights at his opponent and go after them. Yep. That's the Dalidze approach. It's super, super simple and shockingly effective.
2: Yeah, I mean,
1: every single time that, like, we hear three quarters of the fighters talk in this sport
0: about how they think about MMA, Mm
4: -hmm.
0: it's always really kind of like, is that it? Yeah. Does that, like... That's as far as it goes. Either you are holding back an entire ocean (laughs) of thought Mm -hmm. that you are reserving for your own private study and training and ritual and secrets. Or, as is much more likely, most of the people in this sport are getting taught and then they are functioning on
3: instinct. Yeah. Which I think is pretty normal for athletes in general.
0: Yeah, I think so too.
3: I think most athletes do not. People who super like intellectualize a sport, they tend to be hobbyists.
0: Like me. Or Drikus Duplessis apparently.
3: Yeah. Well, even Drikus is, the man is surely operating, um, on a on a, a high degree of intuition, if it can be called that. Yeah. To uh that that informs a lot of his decision making in the cage. That much
0: I just love that it. it all looks like he's just out there having a silly string fight and then he comes back and will like talk his way
3: through each Oh of course.
0: Each and move if, of the silly string.
3: And if the archetype is a guy who doesn't think about fights but is taught, well Drake certainly doesn't look like a guy a guy who has been taught. Yeah no. <laughs> So you want to assume there must be a more intellectual side to it as well. Yeah. Anyway, the you know the the thing is is that Delizze, um has the right physical qualities uh-huh. to get by with what is really I mean quite a even by that standard a pretty boneheaded approach. Um, yes. He's big. Uh-huh. Not only tall, but because he's like the same height as Imovov here, but I think he's beefier.
2: Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I think
0: he even at middleweight looks like he could he could still be a light heavyweight very easily. Imovov, at middleweight, he's big. He's a big middleweight, but he looks like he would have to add some muscle. Yeah, I mean, most notably, Dalidzi is really thick in the legs, and he's just uh, all hips.
3: around a large man. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, big, big, broad shoulders, big, big back and chest, and, yeah, he doesn't have scrawny legs or anything. I yeah. mean, he, he's just a beefy and tall fellow.
5: Mm-hmm.
3: Um, so that helps. He's intimidating. He's big. He's strong. He hits pretty hard, um, and he's super durable, and he just banks on these things and just tries to take the fight to his opponent. He's not a particularly good pressure fighter as far as technique goes. Yep. Um he sort of crushes people on the ground accidentally because he has very little takedown game to speak of. Yeah, no. Um, and even a lot of the decisions he makes on the ground are like bizarre. And like, he is just making it up as he goes. Like he doesn't have, just doesn't have that linear ideas of how to actually direct the fight, except to just always be trying to bully the other guy. Uh And it works shockingly well. And my gut feeling for this matchup is that it'll work pretty well against Nasraddin Imovov, ultimately. But that along the way, Imovov is going to get some long stretches of time where he looks like the slickest man in the sport. Yeah, um, that's sort of my overall impression. Because Imovov I mean, I Imavov is next to Roman DeLidze. He does look like a brilliant technician. Oh yeah. He yeah. do- doesn't actually have great footwork, but he does move his feet and he does move them side to side. Uh-huh. Um, he uses his jab no matter what stance the opponent is in. Uh, and he uses it to set up his right hand and his left hook um, and his right uppercut and some really nice short combos. He's, he's got excellent timing and is very bold about drawing the opponent onto his shots. Um, and so, yeah, he just looks like a super crafty fighter next to DeLidze and he's, yep. and DeLidze is super hittable. So he's just gonna, yeah, he's going to get to run game on him for like minutes at a time in this fight, I think. Yep. But he's going to have to keep dealing with DeLidze. And I think DeLidze is literally the first guy Imovov has fought since Phil Halls, who beat him. Mm -hmm. who will have an interest in actually closing the distance with him and tying him up. Even if there isn't a reasonable takedown game to go with that, Imovov proved in that Halls fight, he does not deal well with just being clinched and getting mashed against the cage.
0: He's a fighter who has always viewed wrestling as his exit and his escape. He's used to fighting on circuits in Europe and, uh, you know, the on regional regional circuits where he is bigger and stronger than his opponents. Yeah. And where, when he didn't feel like he was, he had a comfortable Avenue to continue striking then he could use wrestling and takedowns and top control. Right. That was his release valve. He was going to be the bigger, stronger guy who was the better wrestler.
3: Yeah, and it's and it's a very useful release valve for a guy who wants to be sort of a slick backfoot fighter, but doesn't necessarily have the complete toolkit. Yeah. Because even for a guy who did have the complete toolkit, having the option to... Like change levels and hit the guy who's chasing you with a with a surprise takedown is a good move. Yep, it makes a lot of sense. The fact that he's probably going to get pressured enough that he'll try that against Dolince is another reason I'm feeling Dolince here. Because like the guys, the guys who beat Roman, they aren't the guys who suddenly decide to engage him in wrestling. That is, in fact, often how guys who were beating Roman become guys who lost to him.
2: It's true. It's true.
3: Because they just like he just like goofs himself into like top position and he just batters them or he just submits them with some bizarre move or sweeps them with some strange like tie up. You don't want to tangle with this dude, and you certainly do not want him on top of you in close quarters. Yeah, I I think
0: I'm gonna pick mhm, and the biggest reason for me, honestly. Other than just the slickness from range that will yeah. likely mean that he is looking way better for large portions of the fight, I think even if Dalidzi is the bigger guy, I think Imavov might just be a little too big for Dalidzi to mm. get the kind of ground positions that he would thrive in.
1: Cause like Marvin Vittori is somebody who will fall in and mash somebody on the fence as well
0: and just fall into clinches and fall into wrestling exchanges and is not a bad wrestler, but is not himself like an amazing wrestler mm-hmm. either. Mm-hmm. But he was also just strong enough that Dalidzi couldn't ever really actually get to that part of the game. It's true. And...
3: Are there uh, any fights where Marvin Vittoria has lost by being outclinched, though?
1: Uh... Antonio
0: Carlos Jr. Yeah, way back a, in the day.
3: A much higher-level wrestler and grappler.
0: Sure, sure. I'm just saying that... I get it. Yeah, you know, but... I- Imavov, It's not... Uh, yeah, I mean, I guess Phil Haas did do it to him, but there's a lot more technique to what Phil Haas can offer
1: in uh, those positions. I, I guess. Yeah.
3: yeah. You know, he mostly just held him there. I he mean, the thing just is, he was like, was like a, a big, tall Norma Dumont or like. A, I, I uh, guess I
1: just, don't, I just think that it. I don't think
0: that DeLizzi. I guess I would also say I don't think Delizzy is. May and maybe this is just me, you know, forgetting how uh, dry that fight with Loriano Staropoli was. Mm-hmm. But I feel like DeLizzi, especially now, won't just settle for holding. Like he'll try to get creative and wild.
3: Oh god, I actually forgot that fight too. That was a terrible fight. Yeah and it was just Delidze just hanging on to the rear waist cinch and supposedly yeah. having no idea how to fight the hands for 15 minutes straight yeah that was good <laughs> i don't know Zane. I, mean, I mean this to me sounds like evidence for what could happen but the here.
0: other part of this is like the Trevin Giles fight yeah where Giles has a jab and even throws a lot less than than Imavov. Yeah. And gets taken down a couple times, but is just, just barely prescient enough to (laughs) work on getting back to his feet. Because, I mean, this is not Trevin Giles' game, frankly, is like being urgent. It's not what Trevin Giles does. Yeah. But he was just urgent enough in that fight, just understanding enough of what the dynamic was. Get back to his feet enough to keep to keep t- tune and Dalidzi up enough to scrape out a decision.
3: Yeah.
0: I think Imov is I think he's big enough and urgent
3: enough to do that, basically. I know you said just prescient enough, which is an appropriate word choice, but in my mind what I heard was Trevor Giles is just sentient enough. To, <laughs> <I'm-> yeah. <laughs> I felt that. Yeah. yeah. Um I'll just make a couple more points and then we can move the hell on. Sure. Uh, Apex event, small cage.
1: True.
3: Five round fight. Yes. Nasruddin Imavov has shown he is not a guy who completely collapses when he gets tired. You want to compare his fight with Sean Strickland to Abu and Nagamedov's fight with Sean Strickland? Yeah. Yeah. One of those guys implodes. When he, he, he like surpasses the limit of his, of his cardio, the other guy simply sort of crumbles a little bit. Yeah. But it is still a factor. It is still a factor. Imavov has never so far looked like a guy who can really maintain his own pace or fight efficiently enough. Um, to to go at a steady clip for three or not not to mention five rounds.
0: True. I will say though too that he has at least fought five rounds once before. Something against Strickland, did, right? Against Sean Strickland. Something Delizy has not done. Yep. And as uh tirelessly single-minded as Delizy can be, I, I I feel like I remember him wearing also, really kind of wearing out his style
3: on Marvin Vittori. Oh yeah, like, he had so, like he had one idea, which was yeah. to 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 wang a big right hand at him, and uh, Vittori, Vittori figured him out.
0: <laughs> I I am not necessarily convinced that Dalidzi can carry his style deep into a fight either.
3: Yeah. No, I, and I certainly, uh, yeah, a guy who comes in with like w- exactly one idea of what to do on the feet, um, yeah, he shouldn't be that difficult to figure out. I'm just banking on uh, the idea that Imovov is not going to be as comfortable in, because I mean, the other side of that is that Vittori had to deal with pretty nonstop pressure and aggression. Yeah, yeah. No. And, and this is something that Vittori actually has multiple times dealt with very well it's true um i i, I just don't know i i would like Imovov to win Imovov is a much more pleasant fighter to watch he's much more interesting i think he, he just has a lot more potential yeah uh to continue and, and improve on his skill set but i just have this feeling he's going to get run into the cage he's going to look good for long stretches but he is going to end up initiating wrestling. Yeah. Um and he you know as mu- it is going to be a case of him really really not being the bigger stronger guy more so than I think in any previous fight.
0: Could be. Yeah, I just think it's it might it, it's a case where for Delizzy a lot of what makes has may, has made him work is just being like way stronger than a lot of his, and bigger than
3: his yeah. opponents yeah but it goes both ways as it often
0: and is that imavov might be big enough to actually just to get this fight into john alan territory mm. if you remember that which was Delidzi's uh
1: second fight up at uh, at light heavyweight which was also just sort of like a Ugly clinch heavy mm-hmm. trading
0: shots and Delidze won it, but it was like scraping, yeah, ineffectually scraping by for both men.
3: If Delidze doesn't finish his opponent, first of all, he loses half the time, yeah, and he and it's never impressive when he wins by decision. No.
2: So I think
0: Imavov might just basically be technic big enough to survive and technical enough to fall on the Trevon Giles side of the decision.
3: I I do hope that you're right.
0: All right. Uh, Delidzi is the underdog, opened at plus 115, currently plus 146. Imovav opened at minus 127, currently down at minus 163. All right. That brings us to a lightweight bout. Hanato Moikano, Drew Dober,
1: and, um, this really just kind of all feels like it depends on how, how Moikano shows up to me.
3: I like this matchup quite I a like bit, I like the actually.
0: matchup, too. But, I mean, like, Drew Dober, we know what Drew Dober is going to do in every fight. You yeah. know, mm-hmm. he has grounded himself in his style. It is not flawless, but it is highly functional, and it does what he, it, he wants it to do.
4: Mm-hmm.
0: And Hanato Moikano is very good and uh, very finish-focused in a variety of ways and technical in a variety of ways. Mm-hmm but he has never grounded himself
1: ever and pays for it all the time. Like even,
0: even fights that Moicano has won recently, like his fight with Alexander
1: Hernandez, the fight where Moicano goes out there, tries a thing,
0: has a little success with it, gets caught up doing something completely different, and looks like he's just totally out of the fight for a whole stretch of it, and then has to like redouble his efforts <clears throat> and come back in and take a fight to Alexander Hernandez. It makes Alexander Hernandez crumble. But Moicano is always like, you know, back when he was losing to. Uh, back when he was even winning, I should say, to Calvin Cater, uh, or losing to Brian Ortega, he would come out like trying to work a volume striking game and be a little cold and get caught by kicks or caught by jabs and sort of have to fight his way into scrappiness and into the fight as the fight went on and he will have moments where he can, you know, jump on somebody and grapple with them and look absolutely dominant and get to a good position and have these like um, Charles Oliveira, like flashes of Mm -hmm. positional dominance and wrestling
1: and grappling like he did with Brad Riddell. And he can also, and I realize this was on incredibly short notice in a fight he never really should have taken, just be a grappling dummy for RDA. Mm -hmm. And yeah, he's just like I I feel like he is is a, a somewhat formless fighter who
0: always has to fight his way into the aggressive strategy. And sometimes he can just like the Riddell fight, come out and press it from the press an idea from the jump and it'll work. Mm -hmm. And sometimes he can, he comes out with an idea and it doesn't work. And he has to go through a thought process of trying to figure out what will. Mm -hmm. And I say, Drew Dober doesn't have that. Drew Dober has one idea and it will work or
1: it will fail, but that's the idea he is going to pursue. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm-hmm. And that makes this fight a little interesting because we've certainly seen uh,
0: Moikana go out and just get slept. You know? Mm-hmm. We have seen him go out and choose wrong and just get dialed up for it. And yeah. we know that Drew Dober can also just be he's a lot better at stuffing takedowns than he used to be. But it's still like a one to two levels approach where if he does get beat on a position or two, he's still out of his depth.
3: Yeah. Yeah. The thing with Drew Dober is he is like a he's like a highly upgraded Michael Johnson. Yeah. Um, and, and, and better than that, because Drew Dober never like gives up.
0: Yeah, it's never.
3: But the more actual grappling situations you stick him in. So, I mean, he will exhaust himself as yeah. part of it because he he will fight really, really hard in a way that Michael Johnson won't. He doesn't yeah. get, like, dispirited, but neither does he have a particularly deep positional grappling game. Yeah. He relies just as much as MJ on being able to stop the takedowns outright, and he's, he's pretty damn good at it, to be fair. Um, you can point to a lot of Drew Dober fights where They've gone sharply downhill against grapplers, but they're all really good grapplers with like yeah. the exception of Efren Escudero much earlier in his career.
4: Yeah. I um, mean, it used
0: to be that drew Dober back when he was a light fisted volume guy,
3: yeah, yeah,
4: he
0: would yeah. just come in throwing lots of offense and get taken down. He's learned over time to plant his feet. And not only does planting his feet, uh, deliver a lot more power for him. But it, you know, it keeps him in position to dig under hooks.
3: Yeah, he's got a lower lower base, and he's ready to sprawl. Yeah, he's in position to sprawl. He's in position
0: to dig under hooks. He's looking for the shot rather than just trying to avoid the shot.
3: Yeah, not to mention he's always coming forward, which is just harder to set up a takedown than a guy who won't leave you alone.
0: Yeah. Um, So, But, I mean, Moicano... Can be a really good wrestler and grappler.
3: He can, yeah. Like
0: it's, like I say, it's just kind of all about what he chooses and how quickly he chooses it.
3: Yeah, to me, for Moicano. Yeah, I mean, I think across the board, Moicano is a very good counter fighter. Yeah, because he does hit a good reactive double.
2: Yep.
3: Uh, he just has excellent timing on his counters, and that applies to his punches as well. Uh huh. Um, that's what carried him. Uh, in the Alex Hernandez fight. Um, and also, he got as one sided as the fight was, he got some really good moments counter punching RDA off the back foot as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, he tends to. You know, he's just, he's got a full complement of punches to choose from good uppercuts, good hooks, good straight shots. He's accurate. Yep. He's fairly efficient. He does have a. The critical failing, I think, of Moicano as a counter puncher and counter wrestler is that he doesn't really have the defense
0: yeah. to
3: uh, to to like super lean on those skills.
0: Yeah, I think I think there's I mean, I, I think it's like it probably there's a speed difference between Hanata yeah. Moicano and Charles Oliveira.
4: Yep. Mm-hmm.
0: And I think there's a decisiveness difference between between them, and and, and much more. And, and I think that decisiveness really plays out in all of in Oliveira being much more willing to be a front foot fighter.
3: Yeah, than Moicano. I mean, Oliveira's half a Drew Dober. I mean, if not, yeah, he he has that kind of mentality to fight. Yeah, just take it to the opponent, make them deal with everything.
0: Yeah, because I, I otherwise do think Moicano has a lot of the same skills. Yeah. It's just that the, the ways he applies them, I mean, Charles Oliveira loses a lot too. So you can't even be like, oh, it just sets him up for losses that Charles Oliveira doesn't take.
4: Yeah.
0: It's just, it doesn't, I think it pans out for a lower level of loss for Moicano.
3: None of Moicano's losses are because he like made the opponent finish him. Yeah. Like Oliveira does, or it's like, you'd better kill me because yeah. otherwise it's over for you uh
0: um, Mo- Moicano's losses tend more to be like oh you brought this fight to me and I wasn't set for it and I just got run over.
3: Yeah. Yeah. And that, that being said, I don't I don't find this a super easy fight to call uh, no, because, because
0: you know that Drew Dober what you know he will bring a type of fight to Moicano.
3: Uh-huh.
0: And like him being set for it is very 50-50.
3: Mhm. Marcano might find a good counter. I mean, I think the thing is, yeah. Drew Dober is 35 years old. Sure. And he just got sparked out. Yeah. In, you know, two fights ago. Yeah. And that came on the heels of a series of fights where, yes, he was getting the KOs he was looking for. He was also getting badly hurt in those fights. Almost sure. every one of them. Um, and there's the fact that. Drew Dober does come in with that like intensity of purpose, that very clear process he wants to stick to. But I think Moicano is better engineered to be a comeback fighter, whereas Drew Dober, I wouldn't say he. I mean, I think he wears himself out because he's he's just very intense. He takes a lot of yeah. damage. He he throws a lot of power shots. He's just super aggressive. Uh, not to mention how hard he fights off takedowns. Uh, and how hard he scrambles. But he is. In an imbevolved way. Like he's not a guy who collapses when the fight goes on ever. No. But he does. Either tend to knock his opponent out very early in the fight. Or else have a very difficult fight.
0: Yeah. Well it's also just because he's so like, yeah. one note.
3: Like. He's got he
0: one, one problem that you have to deal with. And even if he's hitting you hard the whole time. If you are attuned to and watching for and braced yeah. for that one problem, a lot of MMA fighters are tough enough to just, yeah, handle it and take it and
3: go to war for it. It's it's one note. It's got a lot of octaves. That yeah. one note. Yeah. You know, there's 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 some depth to the one way Drew Dober wants to fight, but you can figure him out. Yeah, and there's not going to be a another level of Drew Dober's gain that you're going to have to worry about after that. No. Not the case for Moicano. No. And like I said, Moicano can land good counter shots. Moicano mm-hmm. does have the option of potentially dragging Dober into a wrestling grappling match that just doesn't suit him. Yeah. Um he just
0: also might do that, lose the position, get a little dispirited, and find du- Drew Dover pursuing him, yeah, and just start eating some huge shots that he can't recover from.
2: Yeah.
3: Like, Or, or he might just get caught cold. Either way, might he get, caught get caught cold, cold, but if somebody gets caught cold, it's more likely to be Moicano, right?
2: Yeah.
0: It makes it a very tough fight to call. I, yep. I think I personally am going to pick Moicano mm. just because I think that... I think that he will come out instantly working for grappling and takedowns.
1: And I think he's good enough to get them. And to make this fight his kind of fight early on and make Drew Dober have to try and come back. So I'm going to pick that momentum. But
0: honestly, you know. I've seen both of these guys lose
1: the exact way that their opponent can win. So. Yeah. That That makes uh, it a tough fight to
3: call. I completely agree, except that I'm going to pick Drew Dober. All right. Small cage. uh, Moicano, career-long tendency to get caught cold. Yep. Uh, Not like, you know, a catastrophic... Achilles heel but it's certainly going to be there as a as an opportunity as an option Uh, Andrew Dober is going to do everything he can as quickly as he can to to make that a reality yep so yeah I'm taking Drew Dober and really that pretty much means I'm picking him to if not stop then badly hurt Moicano probably more than once in the first half of the fight yeah that's fair should be awesome. I, I, I be. really like this matchup.
0: Yeah. And I think both dudes have gotten to a place in their careers where they feel very uh, confident in the kind of fight they want to have, or the kind of, you know, like I say, Makano is a little bit, I think the confidence in having a kind of fight has always kind of eluded him, but he certainly seems a lot more driven now to be a performer than he used to be. Yeah. And so I don't think whatever is going to happen, I don't think he's gonna go quietly.
3: Yeah. And even though there is that physique fight, I do I do feel like Makano is fighting like he feels better than he did at Featherweight. I think he feels less fragile. He feels more capable of relying on his conditioning if he has to recover from getting hurt. Um, he just feels much more assertive and aggressive at lightweight when
0: when it was uh him you know that alexander hernandez fight when it was him and hernandez both men had have had a tendency to get lost in the action when something stops working yeah and it was boy who had the bounce back yep and was like oh no i can find and reground myself and come back from this
3: yep so this is another one where I'm hoping the guy I didn't pick actually wins. I really like Moicano's yeah. game. I've, I love Drew Dober, of course. Sure. This is. I mean, that's, this is the mark of a good fight. I don't want to see yeah. either of these guys lose. Um, And uh, and yet I'm excited to find out how one of them will.
0: Yeah, no kidding. Yeah. Dober Dover opened at minus 127, currently at plus 157. Moicano opened at plus 115, currently down at minus 176. All right, that brings us to a fight we've already talked about before. Randy Brown, Muslim Salikov.
3: We did talk about this, didn't we?
0: Yeah, it was originally booked for December
3: 16th. uh, Do you recall, did I pick Randy Brown back then? Because that's who I'm going to pick here.
0: I I picked Salikov
1: and... um, I am going to recant. Oh.
0: Yeah. I picked Salikov on vibes.
3: Good thing for you it was rescheduled. You would have looked like such a buffoon. I would have looked like such a buffoon.
0: I still don't like Randy Brown trying to will the perfect strike into existence against (laughs) Mm -hmm. guys that hit hard.
1: Mm Mm-hmm. And
0: can be crafty themselves,
1: you know? mm mm-hmm. uh, But Salakov is just too low output
0: and too one-note for me, even, even with the opportunities that Randy Brown gives up
3: yeah i mean i think one sort of rule is that in order to capitalize on the many many opportunities randy brown will give you you probably have to be fighting at a pretty good clip yeah because randy brown's screw-ups are all in his like moment-to-moment decisions yeah they are uh, you know it, I, I I thought of uh, this comparison the other day. Do you remember that last Dustin Jacoby fight uh-huh. against Alonzo Menifield. Remember how I mean, you know, cool fight. Like to see Alonzo Menifield improve, but my predominant feeling watching was frustration with Jacoby because yeah. every time he jabbed, it worked. Yep, every single time, it landed with great effect, and he just could not resist the urge to try other stuff. He kept switching stances. He kept trying to like bait shots out and counter them. And I was just, you know, yelling at my computer screen, like dude, just keep jabbing him. Just do not stop doing that. Uh, It will set up so many other opportunities for things that will come on your initiative. Like stop trying to trick him. Just jab. That is the experience of watching any Randy Brown fight. Uh Mm-hmm. Uh, and to me, the quintessential one is the fight with Chaos Williams. Yeah. That was... It is 50% Randy Brown looking like one of the best boxers in the UFC. Mm-hmm. And 50% Randy Brown looking like a slightly less, I mean, a, a much less durable and slightly less cogent Kevin Holland. Yep. Where it's like he just can't stop <laughs> experimenting. Yep. and, and, I kind of love it as much as I, I hate this because this this problem really really rears its head when Randy Brown is doing well.
0: Hmm. Yeah. Like, no. You. He. He will abandon success for the idea of finding something cool or finding yeah. something new or different, and usually when he's getting pressed and having to fight hard. He will just like you know make a, a a necessary tool of the moment kind of read, yeah. And then it's just like, oh, that worked. Keep doing it. No.
3: Yeah, he's capable of being really grimy and yep. and resourceful. Uh, of course, there are fights like the one with uh, Jack della Madalena where he just like makes one error and and explodes.
0: Yeah, yeah I mean that was just you know you can't. That, against a really good, powerful pressure fighter, then this all of this tendency to be like, oh, I'm yeah. going to try to select the right thing. I'm going to try to make make the right read. And all I like, no, you're just going to get run over.
3: It makes it a lot more likely that the a, any single mistake will be the end of the fight. Yeah, but um, it's just when Randy Brown is flowing. That is when you really see, I think, the psyche of Randy Brown revealed, uh, unveiled, because, yeah, he can be completely dominating a fight using his reach, using the number of tools that um, take full advantage of his crazy reach, Um, fainting and drawing shots out of the opponent and using some decent defense too. And then he just gets bored of yep. just winning. And he wants, he is like fundamentally an experimental fighter. He wants to do cool shit. Mm-hmm. I kind of love it.
5: <laughs> yeah,
3: I, I kind of respect the hell out of it. Winning is not as important to him as winning with style. Yep, which is really not the thing you want to say about a professional competitor, but is kind of admirable in its way. But, again, to take advantage of that, as Chaos Williams did, almost winning the fight just on the back of Randy Brown trying to give it away, you have to fight like Chaos Williams fought. Yeah, You've got to be aggressive, and you've got to be putting combinations together, and you have to, like, when you throw something and Randy Brown makes some goofy fucking call like dropping his hands and leaning back you got to be ready to push him and pounce on him and yeah, go I mean, after him
0: it you it, got it is notable the guys that have beat him jack della maddalena vicente Luque, yeah Bilal muhammad yeah and a absurd comeback from nico price what do muhammad Luque, and metal maddalena have in common they all know how to pressure And working combination. They're
3: aggressive, high-output fighters.
0: Yep. They all do it really well.
3: And Salikov seems to me much more likely to agree to a range where Randy Brown is actually at his best and where his mistakes do not cost nearly as much. Yep. Where he can not only get to the flow state where he starts experimenting himself into bad decisions, but where those bad decisions probably he probably won't have to pay for many of them.
0: Yeah, and you know, if if Mekacha, if this were a Salakov like 10 years younger, maybe I might just say like flip a coin because he is like creative and powerful enough in that element, yeah, that he can he can knock all sorts of people out. Um I mean, the man has a knockout win over Melvin Gillard.
3: Melvin Whoa, Gillard. whoa, 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 yeah. whoa. I mean, it did use, literally used to be the only way he won fights. Yeah. He, he would, would just, just destroy people with one shot. Yeah.
0: So, you know, but these days, uh, you know, it, it's gotten more difficult in the UFC and he's coming up on 40 and I got to. I've just gotta do a vibe check and the vibes were all, were wrong, I think.
3: Yep. Randy Brown is is much more in tune with the current yeah uh, metagame than Salakov is. He's at least yep. he's pretty high output. You know? Like that's the bare minimum.
2: Yep.
0: So and, it'll be uh, it'll be a good the kind of fight both men want to have. But then you've got to look at, like, the guy who's got the crazy reach and who throws more strikes.
3: Yeah. One thing I'll say, there does seem to be a pretty huge and obvious opportunity here for Salikov to turn into low kick man for this fight. Sure. I think that would be a great move.
0: One of the many things that Brown has just never had the time to, like, Yep. uh, or desire to try to figure out.
3: Was a big part of how Bala Muhammad beat him. It wasn't just aggression. He chopped his legs. Yeah. And Salikov is still a great kicker.
0: I mean, that's the thing with Brown, is that, like, if you do go after him consistently, that, you know, that boredom and that creativity will just create opportunities all the time. Yeah. Because he will just, like, you know, he can be defensive and slick in a moment because he's thought of something in that moment. But then it's just, you know, there are a hundred other moments and he's thinking of different things every time. Yep. Brown opened at minus 265, currently minus 245. Salakov opened at plus 228, currently plus 213. All right. That brings us to a woman's flyweight bout. Vivia Araujo, Natalia Silva. And this is harder to call than I would like it to be.
3: Another very well-matched fight.
0: This is a bit like uh, the Irene Aldana-Carol Hosa fight, mm-hmm. where I both feel like...
3: In that there's two chicks? <laughs>
2: yes, that's right.
3: Exactly. <laughs> I just thought of the dude from Office Space. That's right, <laughs> <Sorry>. yeah. <laughs> Fucking A, man.
0: Fucking A, man. <laughs> Have to be the double up on a dude like me. <laughs> But, uh, <laughs> yeah, no, Molly McCann, Diana Belbita, also very like Irene Aldana, uh, Carol Hossa, and as is Julia Stoller and Carolina Carolina. Yeah,
3: yeah. <laughs> the, the defining characteristic being two chicks in the cage at the same time, man.
0: Yes, <laughs> I know. but <laughs> the point for me is that this is a fight that both should be it feels like there should be more of a talent gulf and that there probably won't be. Hmm. And actually, the weird thing for this one is, unlike Carol hosa Irene Aldana, where it just feels like, or I guess that was a fight where I was like, this fight should be close, but I think Aldana will run away with it.
3: Which didn't happen. Which didn't happen. Much it, much to it, our, our pleasure. It was it was close the
0: way we wanted it to be because Hosa showed up. Yep. This fight feels like, Both women could easily run away with it, but they will end up having
3: the close fight. Yeah, I kind of see what you're saying. And um, yeah, I am expecting a pretty close fight, actually.
1: Because one of the big things that takes Vivi Araujo out of fights Mm -hmm. tends to be an opponent who is either knowingly elusive... Or who can out-wrestle her. And... Natalia Silva... Is really just... Fast.
4: Yeah.
0: She has a lot of... She has some... She, she has Shogun Hua Rashad Evans Syndrome. Yeah. Where, like... She will faint ten times... To get into the pocket... And, like, be moving her head and moving all around and all that. And then just, like, sit down on two hooks with her head straight on line. Yeah. She slips nothing when she's sitting down to throw. And tries to be elusive all the time when she's not throwing.
3: Yeah. And not a, not a natural-born uh, pocket fighter, Natalia no. Silva.
0: No. She is... But
3: all of her instincts
0: drive her to that kind of fight, despite that, or all of her
3: training does. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I if I can just jump in with my a comparison I've already used, but I think is 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 instructive for me personally. Um, if, if you're out there watching Asalia Silva and you're impressed, as both me and Zane have been, yeah cuz boy I mean you say she's fast boy is she fast
0: she is really fast
3: she is almost certainly the fastest fighter in this division both in in terms of foot speed and hand speed uh-huh she's just lightning quick and um you know like just so so clearly has a sort of physical advantage over over her opponents i would think of her the way that you have heard me talk about Cyril gone mhm uh-huh in that you, you should always be cautious about a fighter like Natalia Silva. You should always keep in mind, even long after the point where it seems like she's gotten enough big wins. Yeah. Just, <laughs> right? Because if she wins this, I, I will still be sounding the same note here. Yep. You should continue to be cautious about her actual depth of skill. Yep. And aware that if somebody on a similar physical tier... No one's going to have her speed, but there are other good athletes, and Araujo is one of them.
0: Yeah, I was going to say, is, she is plenty fast herself.
3: Yes, absolutely. Um, you should always be aware that it may just take a fairly simple, even one-note correct game plan to just make Silva look actually very bad.
0: Yeah, I mean, I would not be at all shocked if, like, Caitlin Chikagian could just go out there and win a thirty twenty seven against Natalia Silva. Absolutely, yeah, you know
3: somebody who can just stick to a smart process because so much of Silva's success is dependent on her opponent having no notion of how to deal with her speed. Yep, um, and as you were sort of getting at there when you you talked about her, like getting into the pocket and like suddenly not looking quite so elusive or quite so smart. Uh, She's, she's really papering over a lot of flaws.
2: Yeah.
0: I mean, she's, she's out there trying to confuse you from range and blind you with her speed inside to cover for the fact that once she steps in, she's just right there and she's, She's throwing and she will get hit as many times as you throw at her and she will, uh, you know, just she wants you to be flinching is what she wants. She wants you to be flinching and trying to brace for impact rather than just saying, "Okay, well, I will bite down and throw, too. Yeah. And. The thing for Araujo, so, you know, one of the hallmarks for Araujo tends to be that she loses when people out wrestle her and she loses when people stay away from her, as, yeah. I, was, as I was saying. And I don't think Natalia Silva's is going to do either of those, frankly.
3: I, th- I think she'll stay away from her.
0: Um a little. I don't think she'll stay away from her the way that, like, Chukagian would. You know, it's not going to be a back foot i'm throwing natalia silva will scoot away from her but every time she wants to exchange i think she's going to be in the pocket going 50 50
3: yeah except she does have the kicking game yeah Um, excellent (laughs) kicks from long range i mean i yeah i think she's i think i do kind of expect her to try to to run arojo around um yeah, but she's I, absolutely going to get, I mean, what you're saying is that she is absolutely going to get a lot of exchanges where Arusha just has a 50-50 chance of just clipping her, of winning the exchange. Yeah. No doubt. Yeah, I agree uh, with that. I
1: am going to pick Silva here
0: because I think she's just too fast, and I don't think that Arujo is dedicated enough to anything to stay confident when she herself is getting in trouble. Yeah. That's the big thing, is that I've seen Arujo
1: in fights where, you know, like the Amanda Hibash fight,
0: where she can get clipped, and she, she will come back and come back to exchange, but it's never like... It often feels pretty quickly like... Arojo can get stuck being very one note mm-hmm. because she
1: doesn't like what's happening. And so she's just trying to power through it and get, get
0: away and get it done with. Cause it's not like she's not having fun solving the problem. So she's just not going to solve the problem. She's just going to mm-hmm. try to sit down and fight hard and hope that what ha- hope for the best. And I think that'll just give Silva the ability to have exchanges where she gets to be fast all fight. And I'll pick Silva to win those exchanges. But like I say, I think it'll be a very close fight that should be a fight where either woman could run away with it for with a little more de- like craft and thought and dedication. You mm-hmm. know, Natalia Silva is the kind of athlete who could just blaze through anybody. If she can be a complex enough uh, tactician or technical fighter where mm-hmm. she's just going to be too fast to catch. And yeah. That's all there is to it. And Rajo is a good enough athlete and a well-rounded enough wrestler and grappler when she has the advantage. Yes. That... If she can just pick the right moves to make and take the right kind of fight to her opponent and stay dedicated to that fight, she
3: can win. Yeah, the, the, I'm, I'm glad you said that because the, the flip side of what you were saying earlier that um, Arujo loses when she doesn't have a wrestling advantage. Yeah. Uh, the reason that sticks out is because when Arujo is the better wrestler, it is often a... It's often a path to victory. It's often a path to victory. And I suspect that will be one area in which her physicality will actually match up very well with Silva. I think yeah. arojo's bigger. I think she's stronger. I don't know for sure.
0: They're about the same size, but I do think that uh, Arujo is stronger.
3: Yeah, don't know for sure. I suspect she is a more technical wrestler and a better uh, control grappler. And I just suspect that because Silva, again, like uh, her game is like, is like a lot of um, functional flash, which is designed yeah. to make sure that you just never get to the spots where she's probably not as good. Yeah. It is the doggedness with which she tries to uh, stay at the correct distance and continue peppering the opponent and just not hang out in one place. that. Yep. M- makes me suspect that if somebody can break through that, she'll probably be profoundly uncomfortable. Mm
0: -hmm. I mean, you know, you you don't even have to look too hard about like that. Yeah, sure. It's been a while, but this is somebody who lost plenty of fights coming up.
4: Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. You know, Mm
4: -hmm.
0: it's hardly like Natalia Silva, even uh, having always been a great athlete, I'm sure Mm -hmm. she has certainly found plenty of ways to lose.
3: Yeah. Yeah. but i'm gonna i'm gonna take her as well yeah because i think um arojo is not well equipped on the feet to deal with silva's speed yeah she's just a much more cumbersome uh fighter who is prone to sort of overthinking in like heated exchanges uh if you overthink too much Against somebody with Silva's innate advantages, you run the risk of looking a little too much like uh, how Andrea Lee looked. Yep. Against Italia Silva, where you're like, you just completely uh, analyze yourself into a hole. Mm
5: uh-huh. hmm.
3: And um, Silva, she has a little bit of what you were saying before about like Drew Dober. like Yep. She just has a a very effective one-note sort of approach to fighting. There's one thing she wants to do, and it is maintain the distance and make you chase her and then dip in for like a really quick two or three punch combo, maybe a kick in the end, and then go back to like circling and skirting around the
2: edge. Yeah.
3: And she can just rinse and repeat clearly for 15 minutes straight without ever getting bored or losing sight of uh, how the fight's going. She's got yep. enough like in like Drew Dober intensity in that one idea to carry her through a fight. So
0: it should be noted, though, she does have four arm bars to her record. <laughs> and I think that speaks very much yeah. to the game where if Vivi can find ways to hit takedowns. Yeah. Natalia Silva will make mistakes. Yeah.
3: Um. Yeah, if Araujo can get her down, that to me is the really big factor in this fight. Yeah. If she can get her down and I see Silva like playing guard, I'm like, okay, there's the zero gone thing.
5: Yep. Yeah. <laughs> that's
3: that's what she was hiding. I get it.
0: Yeah. So I'm picking Silva just because I think Araujo, you know, I think she was lucky in the Maya fight that that's actually a matchup where. Maya is not only slow footed, but has always had problems defending takedowns in open space. Yeah. And people just don't end up ever knowing it about Maya because most women don't have the the drive, the pure shot drive to take somebody down with ease in open space.
4: Yeah. So they push
0: does. her uh, yeah, they push her against the cage. And Maya's a great cage wrestler. Yeah. Not a good open space wrestler, even. You know, Roxanne Mataferi made their, her first fight with Maya razor close in 2016 because she hit open space takedowns, and then had a much diff- more difficult time with it in 2019 because she pushed Maya to the cage every time. Yeah, and so that was a really good matchup for for Araujo in that sense that Maya was going to be planted there in open space because she's not fast enough on her feet. Yeah. But Silva is. And I say this could be a razor close fight. I, me picking Silva is still like, I could easily see Arajo getting one takedown and taking a whole round that way and just not getting a takedown and getting picked off for a whole round.
3: Yep and then
0: having around like you know and then having around where like she's got Silva's timing and they both just hit each other every time they step into the pocket.
3: Yeah. But it does feel a, worryingly a bit like a two true outcome kind of fight. Yeah. Like either Araujo discovers a wrestling advantage and has the ability to to pull that off. I mean, or who she's knows, just maybe a little slower. Maybe this version of Silva surprises us and just like just shucks those off in the first layer. Yeah and and then we're like okay it's going to take a more a, a more deeply thought out approach to expose all the uh gaps that Silva's hiding but
0: yeah cuz it, it is worth noting too with Silva that like you know she's had she she is she's 26 with 22 fights under her belt so early yeah. losses be damned you know she's putting in the work to yep she's hitting a point in her career where she should be getting really quite good. You know, she should be at her peak performing at her peak right now.
3: And she kind of looks like she's, she's there. So she, she might yeah. be capable of more than we give her credit for. Yep. But uh, so, I'm cautious.
0: Yeah. <laughs> I'm cautious. Kicking Silva, but it's, uh, you know, she, there, there is room for her, I think to lose all kinds of fights as you, as you know, and when she gets up to really, you know, fighters who perform really consistently at the top level of that division. I think the losses that plagued her early career will start reappearing. Yep. Or she'll just be ra- lightning fast and bulldoze a bunch of people and it'll be the serial gone thing like, again.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then she'll fight like Valentin. She'll like win the title from Alexa Grosso. Yeah. And then fight and Valentin, an old Valentina a Shevchenko.
0: old Valentina Shevchenko. Who,
3: who will just demolish her with like awful clinch wrestling. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. We're waiting Ar- for John Jones, folks.
0: Araujo is uh, opened at plus 314, is currently at plus 274. And Natalia Silva opened at minus 382, is currently a minus 326. All right. That takes us to a...
3: It's a bit bit, wide, isn't it? Those those odds?
0: Yeah, very. Honestly, for two fighters who have both lost five fights and Natalia Silva's including, you know, fights to random people on the regional scene that are... I mean, uh,
3: don't get me wrong. We've been banging the Natalia Silva drum. She has looked great. Yeah. uh, Yeah, I wouldn't be so quick to just... Count uh, Arojo out in that matchup.
0: Yeah. So it's I mean, a serious Araujo's, step
3: up for Silva.
0: Arojo's recent losses are to pretty much like definitive top contender level fighters, you know? Yeah. E- e- even Sarah Frota, who she lost to in her fourth fight in 2017, is the only fighter that. Uh, Araujo has ever lost to that has either not contended for a title, won a title, or in Amanda Hibosh's case, is a fighter that I just fully expect to contend for a title still at some point. Yep. You know, like these are all very good athletes. Even Jessica I was very. Very strong, despite her cumbersomeness and yep. late late blooming as an athlete at all. Got what picked up into MMA as a cocktail waitress or as a
3: like diner waitress. Jessica, I was just a really shitty version of RDA.
2: Yeah,
3: I mean, in the same way that like when she was up in weight, you're like she sucks. Yeah, and then when she went down to one twenty five, you're like, oh, actually, there's maybe something here yeah lightweight rda has such power and strength that when you look at welterweight rda you would never imagine it yeah that's true
0: uh the diva just guy like otherwise you know you're looking at fighters like chukagian and grasso and he has that she has that crafty clinch trip takedown game that a just could not deal with at all
3: Yeah, they're good fighters and they all tend to be close fights
0: yep and uh, so yeah th- this should not be that wide i think this is going to be a very close fight frankly maybe it won't be like i say but i think both women have a chance to just take this and yeah exactly
3: with it. exactly yeah
0: but i expect that we are we will get a close
3: fight despite that uh, certainly on paper it is a close fight yeah
0: all right that brings us to a middleweight bout ali ashkab Chisreev against Mahmoud Muradov. And, uh, Mm -hmm. yeah, this is a fight that I think this is sort of the flip side in that. It's a fight that I think should be close and won't be.
3: Hmm. You're, uh, you're short selling uh, Muradov is the feeling I, I maybe get from that. Yes. As a guy who's perhaps lost one step too many.
0: I think he has played his cards. Yeah. And
1: I think, unfortunately, like, there, this is what makes fighting so interesting to me. Is
0: that I honestly, at this point, I think I've come to the conclusion there's no right way to develop a fighter. There are plenty of wrong ways, but the right way is just... SBG
3: Ireland has discovered all of them.
0: Yeah. (laughs) SBG Ireland (laughs) has figured out all of the wrong
3: ways. You have to look at one team to see so many of the wrong ways that you could develop a fight. Yes.
0: There are plenty of wrong ways, but the right way is just whatever works. Sure. You know, like, some fighters, you protect them a ton, you give them no hard matchups... You give them no contact training or very little contact training or whatever. And they come out as like a juggernaut with their confidence fully intact, mm-hmm. ready to just bulldoze people. You know? Yep. You're you're Prince Nassim Hamed out there. Yep. And other fighters... You drag them through absolute hellfire,
4: mm-hmm.
0: and they come out absolutely—you know—having seen it and done it all, and ready to go through anything. You're Sean Strickland's,
3: Mm-hmm. you know. You're uh, you're Charles Jordans. Yeah, I know he had a bad performance recently, but still, you know. Yeah, but Sean guy Strickland who, uh, won a
0: title. Yeah, yeah of, of course. Being a guy who just went into gyms and got the shit kicked out of him for years, <laughs> and who took, who basically had no home gym because nobody could stand him. Yeah, you know, like there's just no right way.
3: That's probably actually the real story of like why Sean Strickland stopped being a neo-Nazi. <laughs> it's like the other Nazis was like, dude, you can't come to our club anymore.
1: Probably, you're honestly.
3: so annoying. Yeah. <laughs>
0: And I kind of feel like Muradov is a fighter who has been given all the right tools for success mm-hmm. and ha- it just came out with the wrong formula. Mm. Cause like he was a team, he was a Floyd Mayweather prodigy.
3: Oh god, I forgot about that.
0: So he's had a ton of money funding him and training him his whole career. He went through some hard fights early on. He's got a ton of athleticism, though, obviously. And then had a, you know, was very sort of like, had a very built, protected record to sort of get him back on track and rebuild his confidence
1: for a while.
4: Mm -hmm.
1: And got to the UFC and you see
0: all this athleticism and you see all this training and it's all very
1: clear. And it just doesn't add up right. And the
0: biggest thing is that honestly, I think that the can crushing he did, it just kind of it covered up for a fight, uh, a fighting and I, a base idea that's always there that he's just not comfortable.
4: Yeah.
1: And he's just not like, it, he's never going to be comfortable. And at a certain point against certain level of competition, like just doesn't matter.
3: Yeah. He just, um, word never seems to have, The uh, the requisite sense of urgency. Uh, I I think he is fundamentally a guy who would like to scare his opponent off of having a a hard fight with him.
0: Exactly. That's what I mean. That's what I feel like. I don't know that it's urgency, but he just he does not. He's not comfortable enough having a hard fight. Yeah. To have hard fights all the time.
3: (laughs) Yeah. I mean, he can. He'll fight a hard round. Yeah. Um. he can be a really grimy wrestler and everything, but what he all the tools wants, are
0: there. it's all, all the, that's why like it, to me. That's why I kind of started with the whole idea of like, there's no right way to build a fighter because I think that a lot, I think a lot of people have put a lot of time into making this guy a very good fighter.
3: Yeah. Yeah. You but know? at a fundamental level, what he wants after the hard round is for the opponent to have learned their lesson. Yeah. And to then get them, get in it, you know, yep. to, to, to chill, to, to have that mean that the intensity of the fight drops and he can uh-huh. sort of ride his advantage. And, and the problem he has run into over and over again is that no competitor at this level is just going to be satisfied with you sitting on, like, a one-round advantage.
0: Yeah. No. That, I mean, we just saw the the Neil Magny-Mike Balot fight. Yeah. And this this organization... Say what you will about the contender series as a content farm. Say what you will about Dana White and uh what's a, sh- Shelby and Maynard Maynard as talent scouts. I have plenty of criticism for them on all of these fronts. But the size of the UFC and the way that, that it has run for years It constantly sifts out for really tough dudes.
3: Yeah, and it's just the nature of uh, of elite level competition in any in any sport or whatever. Is that like the people at the top level? Um, they're not they're not doing this because it's the best way to get paid. No, they want to win. Like it is. There, everyone here has a super intense competitive drive, and so past a certain point um, when the opponents are all pretty experienced and they're all relatively high level and they are all super, super driven to win, Um, not to mention that does mean the prospect of much bigger payouts in the future, like there is still a huge financial incentive to continue winning. What it means is that Muradov's style ends up being like a self-fulfilling prophecy (laughs) where... The mere act of getting to a good position and then just trying to ride it out—that invokes the comeback from the opponent. Yeah, like going out there, like that fight with like Kyoe Bahalio is a great uh-huh. example. Murdov has a lot of success in that fight.
2: He do,
0: he is he, like I watch you can watch him for a minute of any number of fights. And be like, this dude could be a title contender.
3: I mean, he like basically dominated Bajalio on the floor for like most of the second round. Yeah. Uh, for a big, big chunk of it. Just outwrestled him and uh, mm-hmm. just wouldn't let him escape. And then he comes out in round three and he, his foot is just off the gas. Like before yep. the round even starts, he's like, okay, good. That's settled. It's not settled. No. Bajalio knows he's losing now. You've you've done it. Now you've yep. done it. You've made him angry. You've made him determined. And Muradov seems consistently unprepared for the opponent to respond in kind to his success. Yeah. He doesn't want them to. Yeah, It's he like he has to- the Leon Edwards thing, but Edwards has always been better at actually – he consistently meets the challenge that he draws out of his opponent. Yeah. You know, he will, he will insist that they come back, and really he will take his foot off the gas, but he doesn't roll over when they do. Uh, yeah. yeah, he's there to to stay in the lead, uh, even if only just by a little bit. Sometimes Mordo mm-hmm. doesn't have that. He just like really takes his eye off the ball permanently. Once it happens, it's like it, it just it discourages him that the opponent responds yeah. in this most natural of ways to uh, to his uh, his well put together game having an effect on them. Um the thing is is like i, I don't really know how good Aliaskov Kizriev is uh outside of just his wrestling and grappling obviously that is yep. uh the the, the sub- submission grappling game the sweeping game the guard passing like all of that is very high level and very natural for him mm-hmm. he's an absolute mess on the feet as far as i can tell
0: absolute trash fire
3: like, it's like everything is just like a lunging left hand, uh, like Southpaw left hand or whatever that just leaves him totally off balance. He is like the he he demonstrates all the worst aspects of like combat Sambo striking, uh-huh. you know, but it does help to set up some takedowns and he knows he wants to get the takedowns. And uh, I've never seen Muradov beat somebody without getting into some wrestling exchanges with them.
0: Yeah, that's the thing, because it's just like you have all the speed. You have a jab that is you have a really good jab
1: that you can use and lean on. Yeah.
0: All you've got to do is stay on your feet. Yep. Use this jab. Press this guy. So that he doesn't just walk you down, or when you have to really get on your bike and stay away from him. But
3: yeah, Kishverov totally looks like a guy. The exact game plan you just laid out: you you slow cook him with methodical pressure. Yep. You stick him with the jab when he shoots. You sprawl and then you break the clinch. Yeah. And go right back to pressuring with the jab for, first and foremost.
0: And if he's gonna really swarm forward, then you skirt away and you reset and you go back to the slow cook pressure and you know you you deal with the bursts when they happen. Yep. And then otherwise you try to be just working the jab and trying to get him to back up. But Muradov always has to find something else to lean on because there's no one part of the fight where he feels like he can just sit there and do the, th- have the fight, you know, and just be like, Oh yeah, well I'll just have this fight for three rounds.
3: Yep. Nope. Like no, what no, you do it.
0: Uh, yeah. It's just like, no, I need to have, this needs to be something where you are giving up. Yeah. And I just don't, I don't think that, I think at some point he's going to try to wrestle with Kizrev, and I think it'll just be... Sure, he's... Yeah. You know, he'll be he'll be working the jab maybe for a round, and Kizrev will be pressing forward because Muradov doesn't want to, and Muradov will end up getting tangled up with him, and he'll end up feeling like, oh, I've got to wrestle with this guy, and things will start going downhill, and they'll just keep going downhill. hmm Like, it's just really... You know, uh, that Brian Barbarina fight, even like you are fighting the ghost of Brian Barbarina.
1: And yeah, it is a tooth and nail war, you know?
3: Yep. It just, I just don't think Murov is actually equipped to avoid a fight getting hard. Yeah. It, in and fact, think, it, it almost happens inevitably lately.
0: <laughs> yeah, and I think Kizrev looks to me like a fight fighter who is built to not necessarily be the technical guy and clear, easily walk himself into what could be catastrophic errors. Yeah. But absolutely the harder a fight gets, seems like the like the harder he gets to grapple and wrestle, seems like the more he's going to feel like he can just take over and start winning.
3: Yeah, he definitely looks like a a born competitor in that way. A very scrappy individual. Yeah. This is much more, uh, this, the uh, the point being, this is much more us sort of picking against Muradov. Yeah. Than it is us uh, being high on the fact that Kizurev was able to out-wrestle Dennis Teululin. Yes. Yeah, like, of course he did that, but.
2: Yep.
0: It is, it, it's just a feel. like I said, this is a fight that to me it should be, it should be close, and I just don't think it will be. Mm-hmm. Uh, Kizreyev is the favorite opened at minus 129 currently minus 147 Muradov opened at plus 117 currently plus 133 alright and that brings us to Gilbert Urbina Charles Radke apparently still on the main card And, uh,
3: (laughs) we've run out of the good fights now. Yeah. Uh,
1: I mean, Charles Radke just seems like a really dumb guy, even by MMA standards.
3: What makes you say that?
0: Uh, everything about the way he fights and then his whole like slur-filled post-fight speech in his UFC
3: debut. Oh, was he one of the ones? I didn't. I didn't remember. Yeah,
2: yeah.
3: He was. He was dropping the the f the f words. Yeah. Okay. This this was that event. Huh?
0: This was that Adesanya Strickland card where every where Strickland was like the most composed post-fight winner.
3: Yeah, Strickland was the least homophobic post-fight
2: winner. Yeah,
3: <laughs> it just tells you something about this sport, given Strickland's most recent public comments.
0: Yeah, <laughs> he was the least <laughs> homophobic guy in the building. That
3: yeah, I, he felt. I mean, I think that what he's been doing now it's because he felt outdone by that.
0: Yeah, probably. Like, what, what the hell? Uh, Mono cop stole everything I
1: worked <laughs> for. <laughs>
3: yeah uh okay so i had totally forgotten Radke was another one of the uh the that the the slur brigade
0: yeah and then he just had like the dumbest fight with mike yeah and i just get the feel at watching all of his fights on the regionals too like he just fights like a a goddamn meathead in a sport full of meatheads he is the meatiest of heads
3: He does have a script tattoo across his chest, which appears to be slightly crooked and reads blood brother pride. Yeah, that's not a tattoo a smart guy gets.
0: No. And, you know, like, maybe it's not a white nationalist thing. Yeah.
3: uh, Yeah. I wasn't going to go there, but yeah.
0: But it's definitely (laughs) (laughs) It is the first thing I, if I saw a, g- I see a white guy with a tattoo across his chest that says blood brother pride, yeah. I would be like, you know, I don't really want to hear your thoughts on uh, immigration. Honestly,
3: just don't need to know him. It means he either has thoughts about blood purity or he has literally like sliced his fucking hand open on the filthy wrestling mats and become blood brothers with other people in his yes. gym
0: or has joined a gang of some kind even if it uh-huh. is not
3: a race gang yeah
0: like you don't get that tattoo if you are just like yeah if you are if if, if somebody did, doesn't know you that well that that's the kind of tattoo you have where somebody who doesn't know you that well could hand you a gun and you might kill somebody <laughs> <laughs>
3: <laughs> you shouldn't be trusted with Like the, somebody, with it. Mm-hmm.
0: Somebody would be like, hey, you're, you know, you're Mike's friend, right? We need you to go here and talk to this person. Here's a gun. You know, let them know where they stand. If you have that kind of tattoo, you'd be like, yeah, I got it. <laughs>
3: Just assassinate the person
0: like you have you, you that's the kind of tattoo you have where you have signed up to be associated with people, you know
3: <laughs> that's a tattoo that says you're part of a ring exactly, <laughs> not a club, you know, not a crew, a ring, yeah that
0: that's that's all i'm saying i don't know that it, what what that is how it entails how it comes about that just suggests to me a level of loyalty that probably uh transcends common sense
4: mhm
2: you know
3: mhm anyway. his his nickname is chuck buffalo though it's a that's a great
2: pretty, fucking nickname
0: that's
3: a pretty good nickname
0: it's a great nickname
3: maybe we're dead wrong you know because it does, it, it sort of suggests that maybe it's always a good sign to I me mean, when a fighter's nickname reveals that they have some kind of sense of humor about themselves. Yeah. Whereas like Gilbert Urbina's nickname is dog shit. Yeah. The RGV bad boy.
0: I I actually would I almost actually thought for half a second that his nickname was actually dog shit. So <laughs> and- no, that would be great. That would have been, but it would have been very like fittingly MMA.
3: Yeah. The uh, dog just by the it. way, go- Googled RGV. It's clearly Rio Grande Valley. Yeah. But the first result that comes up is Indian film director, Ram Gopal Varma. Hey, so I like to imagine.
0: Varma
3: go- <laughs> <laughs> Gilber- <laughs> is just really into Bollywood.
0: Yeah. That would, that would be awesome. <laughs> Imagine if he, like, came out to, like, some Bollywood song and is, like, dancing his way to the
3: octagon. That would actually be. He grows, like, a really big mustache, like the romantic yeah. lead of every Bollywood film I've ever seen. Yep. I would, I would cheer for that man to the ends of the earth. No, instead he has the dopey nickname, the Rio Grande Valley bad boy.
2: Yeah. yeah.
3: Terrible.
0: Hito Ortiz called it's copyright infringement.
3: Yeah. And it sounds a lot worse than the Huntington Beach bad boy. It does. That would at least have some alliteration, some rhythm to it. hmm Anyway, enough about nicknames. What's going to happen in this stupid fight that we clearly don't care about?
0: Uh, I'm going to pick Urbina. I was... I still think that he is... Um, he doesn't... He fights the typical MMA tall man's game. Now that yeah. he's down at welterweight where he gets to be a big guy. Yeah. Uh, he fights, he fights short, you know, it's all like, I'm ready. I'm ready. and waiting for you with, with strikes. You can't see in the pocket. It's like, yeah. bro, you're six, three. You don't ever have to see the pocket.
3: Yeah. But he doesn't fight long. He fights tall. He wants he tall. Yeah. hooks, uppercuts, like a hey, walk into this knees.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, Brad. He seems like he's just gonna walk into everything. He doesn't care. Yeah, he's not thinking about what he's gonna do. He's just—he's there to wade in and have a wrestling. He is a terrible wrestler. Yeah, and he spent ten full minutes of that Mike Mateta fight trying to wrestle Mike Mateta and could not do it.
4: Yeah,
0: could not out wrestle Blood Diamond to save mm-hmm. his life. He just had to drape on him for long enough that the referee had to like separate them and put them back at striking range.
3: Yep. You should not be having a close fight with blood diamond folks.
0: Especially not. If you come in thinking I'll out wrestle this
3: guy. Cause yeah, definitely not. Cause that's a great way to beat him. And yeah. Uh huh.
0: So I'm just going to take Urbina.
3: Yeah, I mean, Arbino already beat Orion Kosi, who is just like, to my mind, like a significantly more sophisticated version of Charles Radke.
0: Yeah, le- I think Kosi's probably smarter to his detriment. Yeah, and yeah. He gets it in his head pretty quickly that he's outgunned and will fight scared.
3: I don't he think he definitely there- got scared very quickly because what, what happened against Arbino is that he, he was pressuring. Yep. And Urbina was like, yeah, awkward, like walking around like Bambi, getting pushed towards the cage. But to his credit, Urbina realized he was running out of room and he was like, okay, I'm going to plant my feet now. And whatever you come at me, I'm going to hit you with like this left hook. Yep. And, and it kind of landed. And then yeah. Kosi was suddenly done pressuring. Yeah. I don't
0: think Radke knows how to be scared.
3: No, but he is going to get beamed with that stupid left hook, and he is going to. We did see that Kosi, who is obviously a better wrestler than Radke, actually had quite a difficult time getting any wrestling momentum.
0: Yeah, I mean, there's a reason we talk about all the time. Like you actually want to be bigger than your opponents if you're going to be wrestling all the time. And he's Urbina looked huge.
3: more than strong enough, and he, he got under hooks quickly enough that like, there was just no headway to be made yep. uh, in the wrestling department.
0: And Radke, I think Radke will mostly just try to box with him and just try to go out and swang big hooks at him, but I think mm-hmm. that'll just not be a good idea either. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I yep. got to pick Rapina. That's it. I agree. Seems like a fairly easy pick here. Odd to have it fairly close, though, or being open at minus one seventy five is currently minus one ninety eight. Uh, Radke opened at plus one fifty five is currently plus one seventy five. I, I feel like Radke is a solid
1: level below what normally survives in the U.S.C. Yeah.
0: All right. On that note, we're going to wrap things up. We're going to come at you with a little bit of bonus content if you're one of our Substack subscribers. And if not, this is the time to jump on our Substack. So go ahead and do that. Help us out. And uh, we'll see you in just a moment.
1: To access the bonus content of this show, you must be a paid subscriber. To do that, go to bloodyelbowpodcast.substack.com and subscribe today.